Agree or disagree? Christians are better off in this world than non-Christians. Now, I suppose I'm, you don't have to respond to that. I suppose it would go to reason that if you are not a Christian, you would disagree with that. Because otherwise, if you thought it was better off for Christians, you might pursue that. You might say, well, why don't I look into that if I think that they have it better off? There may be more disagreement as to agreement or disagreeing with that. Uh, there more be, may be more of that amongst Christians, actually. And that might depend on circumstances. One Christian might say, you know what, I have had a pretty rough life and I have plenty of non-Christian friends that seem to be doing just fine and enjoy life. And other Christians would say, well, no matter the circumstances, uh, my life is fantastic because of the promises that I have in Jesus. The point is not to come to a, a conclusion here one way or the other, but to really get to the bottom of trying to determine who's better off on the basis of circumstances. Because circumstances change for both the Christian and the non-Christian alike. That is simply the, the reality of things. So rather than quibbling over that, let's let Jesus speak to us his words this morning and try to come to the conclusion that he would lead us to on the basis of these words from the Gospel of John. So listen to what Jesus says and be ready to be caught maybe just a little bit off guard by these words of Jesus. A select few of them from our Gospel this morning in John chapter 16. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve. So it is with you, now is your time of grief. Now, I'm going to try to read the mind of, of any non-Christians with us this morning. When I just shared those words with you, was your reaction, now how do I sign up for this Christianity thing? That sounds like a blast. Jesus talked about a whole lot of grieving. Where do I sign up? I want to be one of these Christians that, that can be assured of this grief that Jesus just talked about. Of course, that sounds rather silly, doesn't it? But the fact is that, that Jesus was speaking to us in very plain, very clear terms as to what to expect in this world. And he says, you can expect grief. Now, what would you rather have? Would you have rather had Jesus explain it some other way? Or to give it to you straight, as he did, to be honest with you, to be forward, or to paint some Pollyannish picture about how life with Jesus is so much better because there are no trials or hardships, there's no frustrations, no grieving, no sorrow. Would you have liked Jesus to paint the picture if maybe you've ever watched the, the show WandaVision? The, the main superhero character in there went through some tragedy, a difficult time, and, and so what did she do? She fabricated this entire world the perfect family and, and husband and kids and work and neighborhood, all of it made up. Would you like Jesus to do that, to give you those kinds of, of promises? But he doesn't this morning. In fact, he's quite blunt. He says, you're going to have trouble in this world. You're going to experience grief. You're going to face adversity. Now, before you write that off as 
as a, a rather bitter pill to swallow and say, well, if that's how it's going to be, then, then I want nothing to do with it. Well, consider, Jesus is telling you straight. Jesus is telling you like it is. You can either be bitter or you can appreciate that Jesus is being straightforward with us this morning. Now, sometimes that might not be enough for those who are on the outside looking in at, at Christianity. The logic goes something along these lines. Well, if there is a God, then how do you explain that there is so much suffering, so much pain in this world? Why would a loving, a gracious, a compassionate God allow that to happen? If there's a good God, why doesn't he make sure that everything is good? With all due respect, that's a bit of a flawed approach. And here's why. Who's going to agree on, on what's good? Is it your definition of good or your neighbor's? Is it your view of abortion being a good thing or a bad thing? Ask any hot-button issue of anybody and say, well, what would be the good that you would see coming out of this? If we can't even as a society, if people can't even agree on what is good, do you realize how flawed it is to expect God to work good in a world where we can't even agree on what good is? So that's flawed from, from the start. The other is the assumption, I shared this, this raised this question, I guess, in, in a Bible information class recently. We tend to start with the assumption that, that people are good, the world is good, and again, if there's bad in this world, then that must be evidence against God. Because if there was a God, no bad things would happen in this world. But why do we start with that assumption? Why do we assume the world is a good place and bad things happening are evidence against God? Why don't we start the other way around, as I am inclined to do when I read the headlines about shootings in Buffalo, when I hear the headlines about shootings in a church, and I draw the conclusion, no, I don't think the world is really that great a place. The fact that anything good happens in this broken, fallen world, to me, that is evidence of a good God. Not the other way around. So, Back to the words of, of Jesus. If Jesus tells us this world is going to be difficult, if this world is going to be one where we face hardship and adversity and grieving and sorrow, then guess what happens when we experience it? We say, huh, that's just like Jesus said it would be. He didn't paint some promise that was pie in the sky, never to be experienced or realized. Think of it this way. If, if a year ago your financial advisor had told you that a year from now all of your investments are going to tank. Your investment portfolio is going to be virtually wiped out. And then it happened that way. That might be a tough pill to swallow, but would you prefer that financial advisor over the one a year ago who said, you know what, your investments are looking good and I'm expecting things to double, triple, quadruple maybe a year from now. And then a year later, you realize how off the mark he or she was. Well, I didn't want to tell you the truth because I, I, I knew that would have been hard to hear, so I just painted a good picture for you. Which one are you going to hire? Which one are you going to fire? Which one are you going to let go after that experience? The one who told you like it is, even if it's a difficult pill to swallow. And so I contend for that reason. If Jesus is telling us like it is that we're going to experience hardship and struggling in this world, and we do, and it's just like he said it was, then maybe that merits our listening to what else he promises after that. Because you heard the whole account in the gospel, didn't you? And it wasn't just grieving. 
Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. You will receive whatever you ask in my name. Your joy will be complete. So if Jesus said you're going to experience sorrow and hardship, and we did, but then he says it's temporary after that, you will receive joy. Isn't it worth considering that he might be telling us like it is? That he might just be telling the truth. For the disciples, what did it mean that Jesus was promising them joy in, in that scenario? They questioned the words that he shared with them in the first verse of our account in verse 16. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Well, remember, Jesus was speaking these words the night before he died. So it's rather clear what he was referring to. In a little while, you won't see me. I'm going to die, and I'm going to be put into a tomb. But after a little while, three days later, you will see me again, and then you will experience joy. Jesus would die the next day, and for a few days, they wouldn't see him until he rose victoriously from the dead. And then suddenly, their gut-wrenching grief would be turned to a jubilant joy that they could not ever, otherwise ever have imagined. That is the joy that Jesus promises to us today and always. One of the ways that, that I, I see this joy in the life of Christians most evidently, and I've been around a few funerals, uh, a few families who have lost loved ones, arguably the most difficult season of grieving that we, any one of us would experience. And there's a difference. There's a difference between how Christians handle that and how everybody else does. And, and I'm not tooting the horn of Christians. I'm not diminishing or downplaying others. I'm just simply saying my observation is that this is quite a different way of handling it. Those that are a part of any other religion or no religion at all speak in terms of hope, and optimism for their loved one, that maybe they're in a better place. They hope they are. They were a good person. They're not really sure, but they're left just hoping or feeling somewhat positive about it. How different when I hear Christians speak. Even in the midst of, of countless tears that are being shed, even in the midst of that, that drowning sorrow, that grieving loss, there is still, but pastor, I'm at peace because I know my loved one is home in heaven. Do you see the difference between I hope or I'm optimistic and I know where my loved one is? Now, before you write that off as just overconfident or arrogant Christians thinking they are better or, or so sure of themselves, don't pin it on the individual. Go back to the source. Because if you go back to the source of every religion outside of Christianity, that is the best that any religion can promise is hope. I hope I've been good enough. I hope I've tried hard enough. I'm optimistic that maybe so-and-so was good enough. But that's not where Jesus leaves us. He doesn't say, in me, you can hope that you made it into heaven. Jesus gives us his word that all who die in Christ will inherit eternal life. So don't fall to the Christians that lay claim to that promise. Your issue really is with Jesus and his word. So call him a liar all you want. But don't fault the Christians who express that confidence 
that joy that is theirs in Jesus. Some of you school parents over the course of of this year uh, maybe have seen me once in a while in the morning uh, as your kids are dropped off and I don't know what's wrong with them as a sprint to the classroom who does that. But as you have seen me out there a few days in the morning over the course of the school year, I guess I could ask you, but have you ever seen me sour? Have you ever seen me like fly off the handle at one of your kids or angry or bitter or yelling, hey, get off the lawn or hey, don't park there? If you know me, generally speaking, I'm smiley, I'm happy. You might say I'm filled with joy. Where does that come from? It comes from Jesus. Do you think that there are never mornings where I woke up and and one thing after another bad has happened or or I read that email or I know something's coming up, a conversation that I don't want to have to have with somebody that day, something else, and yet, does that change my demeanor? No, and this is not me tooting my own horn. This is me pointing to Jesus and the source of that joy. Because I am confident, not I hope, not I'm optimistic, but I know if I'm going to take Jesus at his words and that I have not found Jesus to be a liar so far in my life to this point, I have every reason to be filled with joy. Because that is the same Jesus who by his perfect life, who by his willing sacrifice on the cross and by his victorious resurrection assures me that not only have all of my sins been paid for, and as I said to the kids, there's a lot of them, They've all been paid for. And God looks at me and credits Jesus' perfect life to me and says, heaven is yours. How can that not fill me with joy? Because I'm going to read different headlines this week just as you are. Bad things are going to happen to me just as they are to you. But none of them are going to rob me of the joy that is waiting. The joy that Jesus promised. Yes, there will be sorrow, but it will give way to joy. Jesus used a a picture to help us illustrate that. One that I confess I cannot relate to, but those of you who are mothers probably understood very well what Jesus was depicting in this section when he used that illustration in verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. That pain, that suffering of not only giving birth but carrying that child for nine months in her womb and now carrying that child in her arms, all of the pain, all of the suffering for just a moment maybe washes away and is replaced by sheer and utter joy of embracing this undeserved gift in her arms. But you know as I do that even that joy just like any other joy this side of heaven, is fleeting. It will fade. It will depart. It's only temporary. But notice that Jesus, when he speaks of the joy that he gives, is not talking about a temporary joy that will fade away, but an eternal joy, a joy that lasts forever, a joy that he says will be complete and cannot be taken away. And one of the most heartening things uh, as I'm involved with our our school ministry is to see so clearly that joy of Jesus in our teachers as they are privileged to spend each day with your kids. And not only our teachers, but to see that same joy, maybe that has something to do with the running 
to school and so excited to come back the next day. That same joy in our students as well. A joy that to me as a pastor is so evident in our congregation as well that we gather again week in and week out because we relish the joy that we have in Jesus because he is the center of everything that we do. And that joy will continue to be ours. Jesus' resurrection assures it. It guarantees it. His resurrection means that he was victorious over death. And because he was victorious over death, brothers and sisters in Christ, we can be assured that we are victorious over grief. Amen.